The Night Owl Podcast, Campfire Episode 1, The Devil's Backbone. Welcome to The Night Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Ballou, and this is a place for all you restless spirits out there to tune in and hear true tales of the paranormal. I hunt these stories down, capture them from the mouths of those who experience them, and share them with you, right here. If you have a story to tell, we're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, click on the Submit Your Story page, and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. Tonight we have our very first Campfire episode of the Night Owl Podcast. If you've been listening to the show, then you're undoubtedly familiar with our investigative episodes where I travel to haunted places, bring my clairvoyant friend Sarah, do historical research, and offer up theories and sometimes even validation for the experiences people are having in their place of business or home. Well, tonight is something a little different. Our Campfire episodes will be much like the name implies, a selected collection of personal ghost stories told by the people who experienced them themselves. I'm simply gathering personal ghost stories, selecting my favorites, and curating them into collections that I'll share with you here on the second Monday of every month from now on. In tonight's campfire episode, we have two stories for you. One is a tale of four friends growing up in a ranch home nestled on the edge of the devil's backbone in the Texas Hill Country. Now, as adults, they'll recite the strange encounters each of them had as teenagers. And second, we'll have an eerie tale of haunted dreams and warnings that one woman got while living in a home on the east side of Austin, Texas. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. When you need custom t-shirts, this shop's got your back. At Oh Boy, they've made customer satisfaction and quality their top priorities. Their aim is to supply you with quality products that meet your every need. Specializing in custom screen printing for organizations, clothing companies, schools, businesses, and even events. Big or small, Oh Boy is here to help. Crisp, clean t-shirt printing without setup fees or hidden costs, and always delivered on time. Oboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y Printshop.com. And now, mention the Night Owl Podcast and get $50 off your first order. This episode is also brought to you by the Spider House Cafe, an Austin staple founded in 1995. The Spider House offers an array of specialty coffee and cocktail drinks, craft beer, and foods. The ballroom is host to events seven nights a week, and as you should know from season one, this coffee house and its grounds are swimming with paranormal activity. But what you might not know is that the Spider House has crafted a very special haunted drink offering in honor of the Night Owl podcast. Espresso, sweetened condensed milk, and a hefty shot of bourbon, all poured over a tall glass of ice. So come visit this haunted coffee shop, and be sure to grab a haunted drink while you're at it. Ask for the Night Owl at the bar, because just like the Spider House... It has spirits in it. Again, welcome to our first campfire episode of the Night Owl Podcast. First up, we have a tale of high strangeness at a ranch home nestled at the edge of the devil's backbone in the Texas Hill Country. Years ago, when they were only teenagers, best friends Brian, Seth, Rio, and McCall would spend many nights hanging out, playing video games, and getting high on sugar. But years later, as adults... They've come together to tell you about the many odd experiences they each had in this ranch home, and how they all now believe they encountered something otherworldly during their time growing up on the edge of the devil's backbone. A quick note, in the story you're going to hear four voices. Seth and McCall are siblings who actually lived in the house where the story takes place. Brian and Rio were their friends who visited often. One thing to note, Brian's nickname is Paco, so you'll hear him called this from time to time. 
My name's Brian Martin. I'm from New Braunfels, Texas, and it was there when I was 17 that my ideas of what the paranormal are kind of went from a somewhat narrow-minded perspective to the realm of high strangeness. It was at a plot of land just to the south of an area known as the Devil's Backbone. The Devil's Backbone is an intersection of farm-to-market roads and highways that connect Wimberley to Blanco and south down Ranch Road 12 into the northern part of New Braunfels. It's been widely known for the past about 100 years as a place where people see Native Americans, frontiersmen, and Civil War soldiers as clear as day, very widely renowned for being one of the most haunted areas in Texas, which is something that my friends Seth and Rio and I were completely unaware of when Seth's family moved into a house they had custom built for them just to the south of it. Now, this was a really nice place. It was pristine. It had concrete floors and limestone siding. Really nice, despite having that sort of rustic ranch style that us Texans are so fond of in our architecture. Not at all the sort of place that you'd expect to see anything otherworldly. All right. uh, My name is Seth. I was in high school. I want to say I was like 16 years old. We already moved to New Braunfels, but uh, my dad wanted to build a house out between New Braunfels and Canyon Lake. And uh, so we he ended up building one right off Purgatory Road. And it was, man, it was kind of more wild than neighborhood, even though there were other houses there. But uh, it was a cool house. It was uh, it was mostly one story, but there was an, like an upstairs that had like a game room and we had like a pool table up there and stuff. I guess I was like a, like I said, I was about like a sophomore in high school. And it was a very, like, intense time for us as a family. My name's McCall, and me and my family moved into this this big piece of land in mid-2005. It was me, my mom, my dad, uh, Seth, and my little brother. We had some neighbors, but none were in really hearing distance. And it was very close to the Devil's Backbone area in the hill country of uh, southeast Texas. It always kind of had a bit of an eerie feel just because of its location. And uh, we had some wide, just open windows all over the living room. And so there was no place that you really felt like you were out of sight of anything. And that, you know, to begin was was a bit off-putting at times, especially, you know, late at night when it was pitch black out everywhere else but the house. Pretty soon after they moved in, the list of, you know, strange phenomenon quickly started to assemble itself. It started whenever uh, Seth or Rio or I would be walking down the driveway towards the house. Along the tree line to the sides, we would always see these shadows of people moving amongst the trees, just like as if they were kind of watching us before just disappearing into the shadows. And at first, that was like really easy to shake off as just us being like suggestible teenagers who were freaking ourselves out. Until the night when Seth and Rio were walking up to the house and they saw one of the shadows against the house as though it were trying to push itself through the wall. My name is Ryoko and one thing that you would notice when you're learning to drive and when you're going through that area was that the streets themselves, like the roads, were barely paved. 
and there was a lot of strange things like you you would have to to be able to use your headlights uh, correctly and sometimes those lights would catch something on the very edge that you're absolutely certain was not a cow and it was not a horse either it was something else uh there was one such night that we were going back to seth's house it was seth and i and his jeep and we were traveling down the road and we were making very good time this was probably slightly after we started seeing the shadow people around the house there was one that was crawling across the road and it was coming directly at the car and seth almost swerved to miss it and it scampered off into the other direction and he kind of he didn't want to stop he kept going and he was like you did see that right and i was like yes it was not a deer it was not a dog it was not a cat it was not anything it was an amorphous shadowy shape with no eyes and no reflective surface crawling and slithering almost clutching slimily across the road so this was actually the section of time where when we got home we ran all the way back up to the house and saw another one of those things leaning against the side of the house and we both froze because we didn't know what we would do if this thing came at us we ended up like jumping out running into the house and like going inside like immediately to my room and as soon as we got to my room my brother mccall knocked on my door and was asking me if i'd seen anything outside of his room because his room was right on the side of the house where the garage was where we came in i said you know no what are you talking about and he's like well i i keep hearing this this robot voice outside the window, which, you know, of course, me and Rio had no idea what to think about that. Like, we hadn't heard any voice. Outside his room was precisely where they had just seen that, and they had heard no sound whatsoever. Pretty soon after that, we started experiencing the most common two phenomenons in that house, which was the sound of someone just beyond the room that you were sitting in talking, having like a one-sided conversation. But it was strangely robotic, and if you tried to move to follow it, you would still hear it. It would just not be in the place that it sounded like. You would move to one room, and it would sound like it was in the room that you had just left. Like, you would never be able to track it down. Uh, I would fairly often hear the voice, like a monotone, robotic-sounding voice outside my window, which was, you know, right next to my head, just out in the woods somewhere. And it could hear the forms of words being said, but never could really clearly understand what those words were. And honestly, I didn't have any idea what he was talking about until, like, much later when we shared a bathroom, actually, and that was... It was, like, two bedrooms on that side of the house, and if they shared, like, a bathroom, it was, like, a Jack and Jill bathroom. And so, you know, they had their sinks, and I had my sink, and then it was connected to a single room with a tub and a toilet. And there was a window in there that you could open up, and, you know, I was, I was you know, young, and I was about, you know, I was probably about 17 uh, when this happened, but I, I was smoking in the bathroom and the I had the you know window open clearly so my mom wouldn't smell it. And uh as I was smoking I started hearing this this robot voice that McCall had been talking about and it was just kind of this uh to me it sounded like Microsoft Sam was how I how I would have described it. It was just kind of this weird lilting you couldn't really make out what it was saying, but it was definitely the cadence of someone speaking and it was very uh i mean i could like my best impression is just like 
it sounded male, but it was just obscure enough to where you couldn't hear anything that was being said. It didn't really, it had like, it had a robotic sounding cadence. It was just very straight and monotone. And then the other big one, in the middle of the night, you would hear Seth's mom doing dishes. Like, this was a thing that anybody who ever spent the night in that house had heard at one point or another. And finally, one night, Seth and his mom were talking, and he had offhandedly kind of mentioned, you know, how you how you do dishes in the middle of the night. And she said, I don't really know what you're talking about. Uh, every night, like before I went to sleep, I would say probably around like, you know, like 11 or midnight, like everybody would be kind of winding down. And uh, I would always hear my mom doing dishes because my room was right next to the kitchen. And so like I could hear everything that was going on in the kitchen through my door. And I would just hear like water running, like dishes being, you know, moved around, picked up, put down. And I didn't think anything of it. I, you know, just assumed my mom would, you know, do dishes before she went to bed. I did hear dishes being done late at night. I think everybody in the house at some point did, besides, you know, our mom. But, yeah, you'd you'd hear, like, plates rattling and silverware and things being loaded. And, you know, for years, it it wasn't until years later that we found out that, you know, she she wasn't actually doing the dishes late at night, that she never did them at night. She flat out denied that she'd ever done such a thing. And I remember the time I was like, no, you you do dishes every night. I definitely hear you doing dishes. But she insists that she never did. It proceeded like that, like little anecdotal things that you wouldn't really pyramid together into a haunting. And neither did we until the night of Seth's 17th birthday party. Now, the thing you got to know about my group of friends when we were, like, 16 and 17 was that we were inordinately well-behaved for a group of teenagers. We never smoked. We never drank. So the only, like, mind-altering substances that were at play that night were a lot of sugar, a little bit of caffeine, a little bit of anime, and a lot of DDR. Yeah, we were we were those kids. Everything had gone great that night. Like, we, we had played our games, we watched our shows, we ate cake, we had a great time. But at one moment in the night, everything turned absolutely topsy-turvy. The night of the party was the craziest thing because nobody nobody really we were like yeah all right we're gonna drink green tea and we're gonna bounce around and we're gonna play guitar Rooman and do ddr because that's real dancing i guess and you know the usual stuff when you're a teenager and um i guess whatever it was attracted something the birthday party that was pretty much the, the biggest incident i think probably because there were a lot of teenagers at the house at the time and from what i can gather of energy like that it you know you like young people or you know young people activate it but there were seven or eight teenagers at the house at the time and it was storming outside on top of that like a really powerful thunderstorm and felt like the house was in the center of like a like a hurricane or something I remember Seth had just gone to bed. I was in the downstairs bathroom, and we both recalled the sensation of being completely overwhelmed as if there was a wind rushing through the building and, like, rushing through us as well. Like, completely bewildering, very panic-inducing. I I remember just gripping on 
to the side of the sink and just being like, I want this to stop. I remember like laying in like after after the party had died down, like laying in bed with my uh, ex girlfriend, like just you know being like I'm I feel like the storm is going to rip the roof off the house and and you know she was like no no don't worry it, it don't don't be scared it's fine we're fine as it slowly subsided i found it strangely easy to put out of my head all of a sudden like it like as it passed i it, it just was replaced by a feeling of just being at ease just like i realized that something strange had just happened it, it wasn't like i had forgotten but i just felt perfectly at ease with it so i exited the bathroom and directly to my left was the door to the garage. The weirdest area was probably right around the garage. Pretty odd stuff would go down, especially in that end of the house. The alarm panel right next to it gave that one beep the way that it does when someone has opened an exterior door to the house. And I look, and the doorknob itself that leads out to the garage is trembling slightly, as if someone had just locked themselves out of the party and were trying to let themselves back in. So... I went and opened the garage, not thinking anything of it, and the garage door was closed. There were no cars in the garage, and there was nobody inside to have been trying to open it. So I closed the door, and I thought about how it was strange, and again, I just felt like, okay, and I just went on with what I was doing. So I I walked upstairs, and as I walked upstairs, a few people from the party were closing the French doors that led out to the second floor balcony. And I said, hey, what's going on? And they said that the wind had blown the doors open. I, I, I said, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. And even kind of thought, like, maybe that's what I had been feeling a minute ago, even though I'm not sure how I'm feeling winds when I'm in the dead center of the house, like, with no exterior, like, access to the outside. But something about it just was kind of nagging at me. So I was looking at those French doors, and it took a, another, like, minute and a half before I realized that the French doors open outward. So whatever force had had to been applied to them to make them open so violently had to have come from the inside of the house. And I pointed it out to everybody there. And as a group, we were all like, yeah, that's super weird. And then we just started playing video games again. Like it, like weird was suddenly just okay and didn't really bear any investigation. And, like, throughout the night, it just kept up like that. I remember uh, not too long later, I was sitting on the couch with our friend Ashley, and Rio was sitting at the top of the stairs looking down the stairs. I hear Rio say, no, not in the house. The first thing that I specifically remember was sitting at the top of the stairs, and I could see all of those crazy shadow creatures scurrying about it wasn't just one they would go from the kitchen into uh seth's brother's room they would go from that room into the the side bathroom they would come up to the stairs but not go up the stairs and they would just like slither about and like crawl about and go over things and seth's room was closed so nothing was coming out of there but I remember saying, oh, no, not in the house. And then, of course, Paco was like, what are you talking about? Like, who who said something? And I was like, nobody said anything. It sounded like a deep-voiced man calling up to us sounding kind of angry. So me and Ashley are both like, what did he say? And Rio looks back at us and is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And we're like, Seth's dad. Like, is he mad that we're still up? And she's like, I didn't hear anything. So we were like, okay, what were you exclaiming about? What were you saying no, not in the house about? And she said that she had just seen one of the shadows from outside move across the entryway inside the house. 
so the three of us were like, that's not good. And then we just went on with what we were doing. Like, it wasn't really strange. Like, something was just keeping us from acknowledging emotionally how eerie everything was. And it just kept happening. I was like, the shadow creatures are moving around and everything, and and they're just making a ruckus. The the crazy thing about this situation was, like, I was saying it like, oh, the kids are awake, and we're going to have to deal with them crying, or, oh, man, I I really have to work in the morning, and I have to go to bed. It was just one of those normal things that you're like, oh, man, the shadow creatures are at it again, and this time they're in the house. It was not okay. A little while later, I came down the stairs and I saw Ashley and Brittany kind of camped out around the corner from the kitchen, looking kind of like weird and conspiratorial. And I was like, what's up, guys? And they were like, well, we want to get a drink, but we hear Seth's mom in there doing dishes. And we're not even certain we're still supposed to be up at this point. And we don't want her to be mad at us. I remember my ex-girlfriend telling me afterward that she tried to go into the kitchen with another one of our friends to get something, but that she'd heard someone doing dishes, and it assumed it was, like, one of my parents. And then Brian had come down and been like, oh, no, don't worry about them. You know, they won't, they're not mean. They're totally cool. Let's just go get it. And then they went inside there, and there was no one in the kitchen. And I was like, you guys are being silly. Like, she knows we're going to be staying up late. Darla's nobody to be afraid of. It's going to be fine. So I like and I as I'm telling this I can hear around the corner the sound of like the water being run of like dishes being clanked around and of like silverware moving around in the sink but as I led them around the corner everything's exactly where we left it the water's off nothing has been touched and as a group we decided it was weird and we went on with what we were doing and it got to the point where I I was having like a strange circumstance happening every single time I walked down those stairs at one point I walked through the kitchen and I saw Seth's dog walking around the island in the kitchen so I I walked the other way around the island to kind of head him off at the pass and, and you know pet his head when I got there he wasn't there and i looked across the room in the other direction and he was sound asleep on his pillow it would it got to the point where i i at one point walked past the three bay windows that were in the breakfast nook and a shadow completely blacked them out as if there was something like massive like 10 feet tall that was like black and clinging to the outside window that just obscured the windows. And by that point, I wasn't even thinking how things were strange. At that point, like strange became my new normal. And I would just look at it and be like, huh. And I'd just walk on with whatever I was doing. It was just so thick, this like dreamlike atmosphere that just wouldn't let me acknowledge the things that were happening around me. The last thing was like, I I got down there with Rio and there was this shadow in the computer room. The computer room had these glass French doors. You would always be able to see in there because the windows were always open. There's light on, on this side of it like that would always shine through so you'd always be able to see inside but it was black pitch black and the doorknob was rattling ever so slightly Paco and I were standing in front of these doors sort of off to the side looking at it because the doorknob's rattling we kind of look at each other and we're like hmm there is nothing that we can see on the other side and this is not this is not a situation where it's like oh it's dark this is like Oh, there is liquid ink on the other side of the door, and the room is full of it. 
There was nothing that you could see. Not the hint of light was coming through there. Of course, Paco was like, oh, we should check it out. And I remember telling Rio, we should probably check that out. And Rio was like, not freaked out or anything, but just kind of a matter of fact was just like, "Hmm, we should probably leave that alone. We were not going to check it out. I told him absolutely not. We should probably go back upstairs. But it was another one of those things that was like, oh, man, you know, one of them normal things I got to take care of. Let's not open the office door. It's full of squid ink, I guess. We kind of went through with the night and everything kind of, you know, peaked out. We all went to sleep. And it wasn't until the next day that we were talking about it and we were like, yeah, wasn't last night fun? Except remember when this happened and this happened and this happened. Okay, last night was actually terrifying, and we just were fine with it. It was this weird, like, Russian doll of realizations of, oh, hey, you remember that that thing? Oh, that thing. Oh, man, that thing. Oh, my God, that thing. And all of us just looking at each other like, did that seriously happen? Did we just think that was normal? Was this... Was this okay to us? And that house was a series of things like that. It was a series of bad feelings. It was a series of of weird things happening and nobody questioning it until you got away from the situation or you woke up the next morning. Like, all the little sounds and all the little out-of-place, like, little details, it really reminds me of a lot of the stories about the Devil's Backbone. I wonder if that's really what it is. It's just a place that records the sights and the sounds and the emotions of whatever's happened before and just plays them randomly, just never being still and never being quiet. This was an area that had not been developed, that had not been worked on, that had not had a single road going through it. Somebody probably owned thousands of acres and this plot of land was one of it. And they just decided to move in a subdivision of people who wanted to be ranch hands. And as a result, all of this new construction, I think, probably woke something up or, you know, it, it kind of touched this this primal thing that hadn't been touched in forever. The construction was really interesting and it makes me think a lot. A lot of the ghost shows and stuff talk a lot about how granite and limestone being like heavy in the area of a certain place can be kind of like a resonator or like a recording device for like supernatural occurrences. And the thing that really struck me about this house involving that was it was lousy with it. it. It was on the surface ground level as well as underneath. And it was all just this giant basin with the house in the center. And when they built it, they carved out a huge chunk of it and poured the uh, concrete directly into it. And then, like I said, the exterior of this house was completely limestone. So it's almost like they had made it the little broadcaster in the center of a satellite dish. And whenever you just brought the right amount of people into it and the right amount of energy into it, just reality just started slipping like it was it was very strange and it always accompanied this very dreamlike sensation not like being in a fog but just like you you don't have full control over all the emotions you're feeling Brian had actually drawn some interesting theories about the experiences he and his friends had had at this house on the edge of the devil's backbone back in the early 2000s Brian originally told this story live at our first event called Free Range Spirits last October. But now that I'd been able to get more perspectives on this story for this campfire episode, 
I was dying to inquire more about the personal, more private experiences siblings Seth and McCall might have had during their time living in the actual home. Here's what I learned from them. There was another time when I had my friend Lauren over. She lived in Dallas, and she'd been my friend when, when I went to school up in Dallas before I'd moved down. She came over, and I think McCall and Jack were staying with my grandmother in Colorado at the time. So they were usually gone for, like, long periods over the summer, like, you know, months over the summer, and nobody would be in their room. So I casually, you know, said, hey, you could sleep in McCall's room, you know, while you were staying. And that, you know, was fine with her. So, like, after the first night, I remember being, like, really surprised because she, you know, came out of, you know, the bedroom like, hey, I don't want to stay there anymore. And I was like, well, why? And she was like, well, like every time I would try to go to sleep, I would close my eyes and I would see uh, a white face hovering over my face and it would be saying something to me, but I couldn't hear or understand what it was saying to me. And she said this happened every time she tried to sleep in there. So she refused to sleep in that room. And, and to be honest, I don't blame her because, like, I, we lived there for probably about, you know, four or five years. And I can probably count on one hand the amount of times that I went into my brother's room simply because it just had a really gross feeling to it. My room was fine. I didn't have a problem with my room. But as soon as you walked through the Jack and Jill bathroom from, the like, the, the tub room into there like sink area and into their bedroom it just felt you just felt like you were being watched the whole time and it it was very unsettling and like I said it you know I don't I I think one of the reasons that McCall and Jack ended up going to you know Colorado all the time was because they didn't want to stay in that room and I I certainly wouldn't want to either because it it felt it felt nasty in there I remember one night I woke up like at 3 a.m. and uh, there was a just a just a black outline of a person just leaning over over my bed just staring at me it was it was clear like i was awake enough to know that there was there was something there but i just freaked out and i ended up jumping right through it and leaving the room and i ended up staying on the couch in the living room the rest of the night i know my brother my brother jack he saw people like someone in the bathroom connected to our bedroom just staring at him. Eventually, we ended up leaving and and moving closer to town. But then uh, as we were moving out, my mother, who wasn't very, uh, like, she she believed in that kind of stuff. She didn't really buy into any of our stories, but uh, she would be out there. And it was at that point where she didn't want to be there alone because she started hearing things. At the time, our parents didn't really, like, believe us. You know, we had a dog, and, you know, my dad would always be like, well, you know, if there was a ghost here, the dog would, like, react to it. Or, you know, you know why don't I notice anything, you know? And I think mom just... You know, they stayed on their side of the house, and to be honest, I never really noticed any activity on their side of the house, so I don't really think it was odd that they thought we were just being weird kids. Um, But I do remember that after we moved out, when we were still, like, moving things, like, we didn't live there anymore, but we still had our things there, my mom went into McCall's room to, like, like, get things together, like, box some stuff up, and she said that after, like, five minutes, she had to leave. She said the way she described it was that the room was breathing at her, 
and that she couldn't get over the feeling of being watched and it was really unsettling her and so she left like immediately. That was after that she believed us that the house was haunted. I don't think dad ever came around to thinking it was haunted. And, you know, like I said, I'm not certain if, if haunting is the right word for it because it didn't really feel like a ghost. It, maybe it was. I don't know. It was like a very strong energy, but it, it didn't seem like a person's energy. I never really sensed a personality happening, you know, with, with whatever presence was there at the house. I definitely had an experience there. I definitely feel like my recollection and it was solid enough to, you know, convince me and uh, enough people, like everybody, all of Seth's friends, a few of my friends that stayed over, pretty much 90% of the people that, you know, spent more than a few hours there had some sort of experience. And that is part of what really convinces me that, you know, there's something going on over there. Having a personal paranormal experience is something a lot of us listeners out there might actually dream of having. And although this show features countless tales of the supernatural, they are somewhat of a rare occurrence to many. What I really enjoyed about the story we just heard is how so many times these friends witness something unexplainable together. A personal experience is hard to validate sometimes, but in this case, you have a house full of friends who each got their own glimpse of something they all could not explain. And to me, that's something pretty special. After this short break, we have one more campfire story for you, so stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by the Spider House Cafe and Ballroom. If you've listened to the show, you probably already know that this unique Austin coffee house is rich with stories of the supernatural. So it should go without saying, I'm ecstatic to have them as one of our sponsors this year. Since 1995, the Spider House has been serving an assortment of specialty coffee drinks and cocktails, fine crafted beer, and delicious food and snacks. It has a carnivalesque patio decorated with Christmas lights, junkyard grabs, and thrift store finds, which harbors a variety of food trucks and one very haunted tattoo shop, as most of you should know from season one of the show. Around the corner, the Spider House Ballroom hosts events seven nights a week, ranging from slam poetry and independent film screenings to live music and storytelling events. I'm so excited to have this magical coffee house as a sponsor, and even more excited that the Spider House has created a very special night out drink for us. Four shots of espresso, sweetened condensed milk, and a hefty shot of bourbon poured over a tall glass of ice. This haunted drink is sure to lift your spirits. So if you're in Austin or traveling from out of town, get on over to the Spider House, order a night owl, soak in all this magnificent space has to offer, and just maybe you'll catch a glimpse of the many spirits that haunt the Spider House grounds. This episode is also brought to you by Oh Boy Print Shop. Custom printed t-shirts made in Austin with love. Now, there are many reasons why I love this family-owned print shop and why Oh Boy is my go-to shop for all things Night Owl, but let me pick one to rave to you about today. Have you ever ordered custom tees from an event or bought some from your favorite band or company, only to realize that they're thick, scratchy, and look like you're wearing a bag that isn't very flattering on you? Well, that's one thing that won't happen to you when you're with Oh Boy Print Shop. They offer a variety of t-shirts to provide the right choice to meet your needs, I myself prefer comfortable, slightly fitted tees that look and feel awesome enough to wear every day, either by themselves or under a throwover shirt or sweater. Old Boy Print Shop helped me pick out a tee that fit those needs, and honestly, when I open my closet in the morning, I skip all my other tees and go straight for the Night Owl shirt, because it's the most comfortable and flattering tee in my entire closet now. 
Oboy's aim is to provide you with the options that help you get the product that meets your every need. So, there's no more need for hesitating. Order your first batch of custom printed tees with Oboy Print Shop today, and you'll be in great hands. Plus, now you can get $50 off your first order by simply mentioning the Night Owl Podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit oboyprintshop.com. That's O-H-B-O-Y printshop.com. And now for the last story of our first campfire episode, we have Jennifer, who is sharing a harrowing tale of her time living in an East Austin home where an impressive presence began entering her dreams and torturing her. And it wasn't until family and friends started reporting the very same dream to her that she began to worry and fear for her life. Um, my name is Jennifer. I've lived in the Austin area since 1990. I currently live in Bastrop. I guess I'd start this story, it was in the year 2000. I had been traveling in Europe, backpacking for a year. So I came back to Austin, I was very poor. (laughs) I had spent a lot of money. So I decided to couch surf at a friend's house. She had this house in East Austin, and at that point in time, the gentrification of East Austin was just starting. This house had previously been a pretty famous crack house. And so I moved in. There were two people already living there. And my first experience sleeping on the couch, I had no problems. Like, I was just glad to have a place to live. Eventually, one of the guys moved out. I moved into his bedroom. I still didn't have any experiences. Then the girl, this was probably about a month down the line, the girl decided to move out to the girl whose house was at least. And then I just had the house myself. Unbelievably, East Austin house, $600 a month, which is very cheap. So I was like, great, I live in this East Austin house, and I by myself, it's really inexpensive. It started happening when I moved into her bedroom. And really, the incident really just started with a feeling of discomfort, like somebody was glaring at me. I would smell this like faint B.O. smell sometimes. But I just, you know, I was excited to be back in Austin. I didn't really pay attention to those things. And then the nightmares started happening. And they were very graphic, very um, intense. I would wake up from these nightmares in a really cold sweat, which is unlike a regular sweat. It's, it's indescribable. You're like you're slimy. I'd wake up in this cold sweat, and I'd feel like somebody was cutting me open. Like there was like a really hot pain, like like someone had a hot knife and was going from my, you know, waist area to my heart. It was just like, and I would wake up in this cold sweat. It didn't happen all the time. I try to remember some of the dreams I had, but the only one I really remember I was in this house that I lived in, and we were, I was having a costume party. There was a rope at the door, and I was letting people in, and this guy comes up dressed as, like, a cheesy, old-fashioned devil, like the red satin tie-on, you know, thing, and the little pitchfork. But instead of pants, he was wearing a hoop skirt, which was really weird. <laughs> and I just, in my dream, I didn't like him, and I feared him. And for I picked up the hoop skirt, and I raised it, and there were chicken legs. He had chicken legs that were bound together. And then I heard a scream, and that's when I woke up. 
in my dream with like this very cold sweat and that same pain that I had. Other things, weird things would happen. Just, you know, I grew up, I was born in Laredo. So I kind of am familiar with like some Santeria voodoo stuff. A lot of the dreams had that kind of element to them. So, you know, this went on probably for like, I don't know, three weeks, a month. You know, I'm having these weird dreams, but I don't see anything. I don't, and I don't really, you know, I don't know, you know. So out of the blue, my dad calls me. He's a businessman. He lives in Houston. He was like, you know, I had this really disturbing dream about you where there was this man with long, black, greasy hair. Um, he's really dirty, and he's basically gutting you open like a fish. And it really freaks me out, and I just want to know that you're okay. And when he said he, he also said that he smelled bad. That immediately, the smell comment and the gutting you open, I started to get really frightened at that point. I'm like, okay, something's happening here that is supernatural, you know. So, you know, I, I just still just, the rent was so cheap, I couldn't afford to move. So I just kind of stuck it out, you know. And probably about two weeks after that, my dad calling, I see this girl that is a casual acquaintance. She says to me at a party, she was, you know, I had this dream about you that this guy was stabbing you. And he had really dirty, long black hair, had, smelled really bad, and he was attacking you with a knife and stabbing you in your stomach. And I immediately felt sick to my stomach at that point. I was just like, oh my God, you know, this is, this is, this is happening, you know. I started to kind of panic. I actually moved into the other bedroom. And for a while, the extra room that was there, I was, you know, had some relief. And I thought, well, I'll just live in this room. But then I started having dreams and the cold sweat again. And that at that point, you know, there were a couple other weird things that happened. One time I was downtown, you know, at a bar. And this lady comes up to me, who I don't know. And she kind of looked me in the eyes in this really weird, blank way and just said, you're in danger, use caution, and then walked off. Uh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about that right now. So, you know, weird things like that. So I decide at this point, because I still want to hold on to this house, you know, that I, I go to this metaphysical store. At that point, it was called Three of Cups. I just go in there and I say, hey, you know, uh, I think my house is haunted. Can you refer me to somebody that would, you know, possibly come over? And she's like, sure, there's this guy, Michael. I can't remember his last name to this day, but he doesn't even charge people. He just comes to help people. So he came over. He was super sweet. He told me to sit in the living room while he walked around the house. And uh, he walked around. He came back. He was like, well, first of all, there's a guy who's in that very back, the biggest bedroom. He used to think of this as his gang territory. He died of an overdose in that room. He has long, black, dirty hair. He smells really bad. He's just, you know, he hates women. That's another thing he told me. And that when I go in there, I see him on top of you stabbing you. He marked this house 
with black magic. Whoever's going to live here will be going through a bad time until they dig up something that's buried under the shed. He said he marked it with some sort of ritual item, and there was a shed out back. And until that's destroyed, that has to be, you know, cursed, I guess. So I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to be left. I thanked him. But at that point, you know, I'm certain that this guy is, like, attacking me. And I can't tell you what it's like to be attacked by something you can't see. After that, I started sleeping at my friend's house. But I did go into the back shed. I started pulling out all these boxes. There were a lot of weird things, you know, a lot of Santida stuff, like medallions. And, you know, there was some Nigerian dollars and just weird, weird stuff. I tried to dig up, but the ground was really hard, like cement. Like he might have even poured cement over it. So I kind of just moved out. (laughs) The point is it wasn't worth it to go through that and that real violating feeling of somebody attacking you constantly was uh, paranoia beyond belief. You know, and and that's kind of, I just moved out. I didn't battle it. (laughs) I couldn't, you know, I was even scared for six months after that. It's just thing following me. I just, you know, that's kind of the story. You know, but I, for myself, I try to, instead of focusing on supernatural event that happened and, you know, that being so scary and that that world is real. I try to focus on the more mysterious thing is what was helping me, what was telling these people to warn me. I try to focus on that, like that I must have some sort of guardian angel or, but something supernatural was also helping me. And that, that kind of makes me feel better to, to realize that, you know, that I was being protected on some level. But yeah, it, that, that was the story. It was kind of short, but I never saw anybody. I never, I just was being attacked on, on a dream level and something was fighting for me. As Jennifer said, she didn't stick around long enough to learn more about what she was sensing and feeling in that house. And I don't blame her. She said in the many years since vacating, she's passed by the place a few times and believed it to have new occupants. Ironically enough, I learned that I drive by this very house every day on my way to work. So one day, I decided to stop and have a look at the place from the street. The house just looks oppressive and dilapidated. The blinds on the single window facing the street are broken, tattered, and halfway fallen down. The exterior paint is brittle and chipping. Beer bottles and trash litter the porch and inside the window sills. And from the side of the rundown car parked along the side street, it appears someone is living there. However, I myself couldn't muster the courage to knock on that door. And this man in Jennifer's dreams is to remain a mystery for now. Thanks for listening to our first Campfire episode. These types of shows will continue to be released on the second Monday of each month. We're currently looking for more personal ghost stories, so if you or someone you know has one, please submit it to us for consideration. Go to thenightowlpodcast.com, 
click on the Submit Your Story page and let us hear your ghost story. We'd love to consider it for the show. Our usual investigative series will continue on their regular schedule for the last Monday of each month. So be sure to tune in on January 27th to join us on our next case, where a local Argentinian restaurant on East 6th Street shares their stories of their haunted building and a ghost in their basement that has made his presence known to all the staff, so much so that they've actually given him a name. And I'd like to thank my team, Sarah, Alexis, and Franklin for going on these crazy adventures with me, Nicholas Fair and Petey Wilder for your talented musical contributions to the show, and my very supportive wife, Tao, for sticking with me all these late nights and long hours, and for taking amazing photographs on every case. And last but not least, David Dalton of Driftworks Sound for mastering every single episode on the tight turnarounds I give him. Please support their works by visiting our website, thenightowlpodcast.com, and clicking on the About tab. There you can find links to all their individual works and websites. And to help keep this show going, and my team and I fed and caffeinated, please support us for as little as a dollar a month on our Patreon page. This contribution not only helps me keep this show alive, you gain access to a ton of cool behind-the-scenes stuff. So please visit patreon.com backslash the Night Owl podcast and become a Night Owl patron today. And a special thanks to this episode's sponsors, The Spider House Cafe and Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to stop by The Spider House and try the new Night Owl drink. And don't forget, if you need t-shirt printing, you can feel at ease in the hands of Oh Boy Print Shop. Be sure to mention the Night Owl podcast to get $50 off your first order. Thank you all, and stay restless out there. This podcast was mastered by David Dalton of Driftwork Sound. If you're ready to up the production quality of your podcasts or music, go to driftworksound.com. That's D-R-I-F-T, worksound.com. And get your project mixed, mastered, or produced using well-established methods and unconventional techniques. That's driftworksound.com. And remember, your first master is completely free.